I do feel that capitalism is due for a reboot. I'm not for a moment saying one should sacrifice the quality of what we produce or the excellence of the products that we produce or the way in which we serve our customers or conduct our business or the returns that we should be generating. But it's almost in a way you could think of it as cheating to do that without a natural reciprocity with the world and environment. You're stealing from the public good to advance the good of a few. In order to be sustainable, it has to be a self-reinforcing circle. But if you look at any business hard enough, most companies are created to solve a problem or to meet the need of, of somebody caused by a problem. Sometimes you just have to look back far enough as to why the company was created. Hi, I'm Beldit Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. The current model of capitalism is under pressure and a new model seems to be needed. Learn how CEO David Smolin crystallized their purpose and brought it alive across their business, preparing them to be sustainable through possible changes ahead. Well, David, thank you for joining us. Right now you're in South Africa, I believe. Um, maybe just to get us kind of started, you could tell us a little bit about Smolin or about how you see your role in it. Sure. Um, well, thanks for uh, inviting me. It's good to be with you. And uh, first of all, I'm the chief executive of the group. And the company uh, was founded by my late grandfather in 1931 as an outsourced sales agency. He was a salesman, really. Um, couldn't find a job. Times weren't very good then. And some people gave him an opportunity as an outsourced sales rep. And probably we think we could claim the first outsourced sales rep in the world. I don't think it was a very common arrangement in 1931. But today uh, we've developed into a very broad-based commerce solutions company. So commerce for us speaks about trade and the places of trade. We used to think of ourselves as a retail solutions company, but over the last five or 10 years with the emergence of e-commerce and uh, direct-to-consumer and various other channels that have all blurred together, I think commerce is a more suitable uh, framework for describing the various places in which we work. And we really provide solutions to both retailers, uh, whether they would be physical retailers or digital retailers um, or hybrids and brand owners, helping them sell and market their products better. So we tend to provide a variety of solutions that are at the intersection between a shopper, a retailer of some form or other and a brand owner of some form or other with the DNA in the provision of an outsourced sales force. But obviously the offer has significantly advanced to sales, to merchandising, to the activation of products, to the installation of products, to the technology supporting the sale of products, to the management of the data of the products being sold. So it's a very broad B2B business solutions company in retail. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of help me and, and others, I'm sure you people do lots of different things, but what sort of a 
a typical, almost, you know, emblematic activity that if I were watching one of your employees, I might see them doing? Well, I'll give you maybe two or three examples. So if you walked into a Vodafone store Mm -hmm. or a Monica store and you had an individual in the store demonstrating the latest piece of Samsung technology, that could be one of our people working on behalf of Samsung, guiding, advising you, Mm -hmm. explaining the benefits of the product, um, helping you choose a Samsung product. If you walked into a pharmacy chain or a supermarket and you were looking for a choice of personal care products and you had a beauty advisor that was helping you, if you had a salesperson calling on the store, uh, whether it be a modern trade store or a general trade store, or, um, or if you were the brand and you wanted to know what your share was in the store and how the product was positioned in store and, and, and whether it was looking good relative to the competitors, we would help them understand that. So those would be uh, some of the activities. Um, we have uh, about 90,000 full-time employees of the group around the world in approximately 60 countries serving several hundred brand owners and retailers. How do you define organizational purpose? And is there a difference between that and vision and mission? And how does all that work? Uh, you know, it's, it's such an interesting question. I mean, I, I guess for me, purpose is simply your, your reason for existing. Quite simply, why do you exist? And even that is not a very simple question to answer because some people would say, well, you simply exist to serve a customer or provide a product. And if you think that your purpose extends beyond that, you're dreaming. You know, that might be a very narrow view. You could also think about human beings. And human beings kind of go through a journey in their life of saying, why do I exist as a human being? And maybe when you're younger and you have your first or second job, you exist to earn some money and to improve your life. And then if you're lucky enough to do that, you start to look for other things like how you can make an impact um, or how you can serve others or make a bigger contribution to society. And I think companies are starting to become more human in that way in that they are no longer saying to themselves, we simply exist to generate a return for our shareholders or deliver a great product. We have to also think about the role that we play in society and the contribution that we make. It's quite contentious though, because does the contribution come at the cost of doing good business or the cost of a high quality service? I personally don't think it should or could or has to. And I think that you can deliver a great service and make a return and make a positive contribution to society has been proven. And that's certainly the kind of company that we want to be. Because I think that looking forward, companies will have to earn the right to have their place in a new form of capitalist society. So we consider our purpose to be to create growth and to transform lives. Extends to say by building a diverse, inclusive and sustainable business that connects people, brands and opportunities. But at the core of it is the concept of creating growth. So helping our clients grow, both retailers and brand owners. We help them grow by selling more, by becoming more efficient or by delivering a better experience. But in doing that, it enables us to expand our business and to transform the lives of our people. And in a way, that's what happened with my late grandfather in 1931. He had the opportunity to transform his own life and then in building this business, bring many people along with him. And, you know, we are quite uniquely positioned in that we 
are one of the few companies that actually employs individuals right out of school without a tertiary education. So the opportunity to work in a retail store or as a salesperson or a merchandiser, it's like a first audition of American Idol. And if you have the talent, we will back those people to advance through their careers. And, you know, luckily we've got um, 90 years of track record in doing so. So, you know, literally thousands of stories of people who have joined the business, maybe just out of school. I mean, today school is a prerequisite because there are certain literacy and numeracy requirements of the job. But, you know, 20 years ago, that wasn't even a requirement. My late grandfather never completed school. We serve our clients and customers, but we also serve our people. And we want to become bigger to impact on more lives, create more jobs, give more people opportunities by creating brilliant solutions for our clients. So the purpose is circular. It's interesting, though, because uh, you, you maybe would have seen there's been some quite ne um, negative press on Unilever around purpose. I personally disagree with the press. I think it's very old capitalism, not new capitalism. And if you look back far enough, you know, capitalism was invented many, many years ago. And we're probably at the end of an economic cycle that's going to reinvent itself in a new way. And so whilst some people might think that the, the purpose is simply to make a return for shareholders, I don't think that the consumers of the future think that way. And so I believe that companies that do not earn their way back into capitalist society will exist in 100 years. And I guess it's a question of time horizon. So I think you can do a lot to get by over three months or six months or two years. If you want to live for 100 years or 1,000 years or you want to deserve to last, I do believe that companies have to do more than that. And so I'm a believer in, in purpose-driven brands. And I think in the world that we're going into, every business must do more than just satisfy shareholders. Yeah. As an organization, you've clearly got a, you know, a long track record, 90 years. But this sort of creating growth and improving lives, was that something that was there the whole 90 years or did that kind of come into focus a little more recently? I mean, I think we've just simply crystallized what was in the DNA of the organization as opposed to invent something new. How did you go about that crystallization process? Who got involved? How long did it take? It was lots of conversations, conversations between the team, thinking about the history, conversations with the various leaders through the years and the custodians of the business and quite philosophical. You know, why did you do this? And what were the things that motivated you? And, and how do you want to be remembered? And what is important to us? And what is the opportunity that we have in our hands to do more than just serve our customers? You can be very businesslike about business and not think about things. The famous trail runner, Tommy Rives, he said something quite profound. Um, he said there is a beautiful uh, reciprocity and interdependence between man and nature. He said, um, when I run through the trails, I think to myself that the food, the carbohydrates that I consume and the oxygen that I breathe is what gives me energy. And the carbon dioxide that I exhale and the sunshine is used by the plants to produce carbohydrates to give me more energy. And it's a wonderful way of thinking about this balance between man and nature and the reciprocal relationship that we have. There is something quite 
naturally perfect about that chemical reciprocity between man and plants. And when we start to tamper with that balance, what do we do to the world? So I think that there is much more to this concept of systemic thinking and shared value. And I do feel that capitalism is due for a reboot. I'm not for a moment saying one should sacrifice the quality of what we produce or the excellence of the products that we produce or the way in which we serve our customers or conduct our business or the returns that we should be generating. But it's almost in a way you could think of it as cheating to do that without a natural reciprocity with the world and environment. You're stealing from the public good to advance the good of a few. So you've talked about a number of factors that have gone into your thinking, but what led you to decide to kind of focus on crystallizing the purpose? What made that important to you? I guess it, it was myself, my brother who works in the company with me, our team who are all uh, around the table running this business and the influence and the education of our clients and customers who helped us, you know, really think in this way and really crystallize our own thinking. So was it kind of becoming more important to them and therefore started to become more important to you or? You know, it's again, it's like one giant ecosystem. So I've got young kids and my youngest will read the label on every product before he eats it. I mean, my eldest doesn't, but somehow in that change, my youngest doesn't want to put anything into his body that he doesn't understand what it is. And he also wants to know what kind of a company produced it and doesn't want to support bad companies. So I think it's quite optimistic. You know, if I, if I look at the youth, I mean, I think about the kind of companies they want to buy from and the kind of products that they want to have. Now, it's obviously not necessarily universal everywhere, but I do think that that's how people are starting to think. So the people that are serving those customers have to then start to think about what kind of a business they have and who are the people supplying them with goods and services and what are the kind of people that they have. So again, it starts ultimately with the person that you're serving. So there is something about doing good and a legacy and being proud of the kind of company that you have. But there's also something about the kind of world that we want and what the demands of of the world over the next hundred years. And the kind of companies that I think will survive. That's why I think the notion of thinking too narrowly about purpose is a dated notion. And we have to open our minds in a different way for the good of the world, for the future, but also to be successful with our clients and customers of the future. Mm -hmm. So just shifting a little bit from purpose to strategy, what would you say your strategy is then? In terms of what our strategy is, our goal is to become a global leading commerce solutions company. So there's there's some goals in it and there's a reason for being. I guess you could bundle that in our aspiration and our purpose is part of our reason for being. We, we want to exist to do great work, to generate productive return, but also to have a fantastic impact on the world. And that for us is a gold medal performance, to do all of those things together. We don't think that it's a gold medal performance just to do great work because if you sacrifice some things, if you don't look after your people, if you don't create opportunities, if you don't think of the environment, you're cheating in a way. I know from previous conversations, you know, you've got quite a number of ways of bringing this purpose to life. I just wonder if you'd share one or two of those. Sure. The most important thing is about building it into the culture of the organization. 
and changing the way of thinking. I mean, I'll give you an example of where I think it does not come at all at the cost of an organization. You know, obviously with a base of employees like we do and a natural staff turnover every year, we have thousands of jobs that we place each year. Now, if your KPI is to not have any vacancies, you simply are looking to place people in jobs. If you think slightly differently and you think about every job that you have to place as an asset to make an impact on society, then you think differently about how you place those jobs. So we have a program called Household Hope, which is actually really simple. And what we say is that we prioritize families where there is no breadwinner with that job, provided it meets the criteria. But believe you me, there are millions of deserving households with eligible people for work who would just love to be given the opportunity. And all it takes is for companies to think a little bit harder and try and look for those people. And so I think about 80% of our placements today are from households where there is no breadwinner. And the difference in impact that we have when you switch the lights on in a family versus just simply filling a vacancy, I would argue that potentially you would get net benefit from that. And you have tremendous um, impact on society. I just wish we had come up with the idea um, 90 years ago, because I think about the hundreds of thousands of lives we could have changed along the way just by thinking differently about what we do. But, you know, if, if I think about what the future looks like and this potential size of our company and the number of families that we could impact on, you know, that aside from being good business, I think that that will be an incredibly joyful thing for people to experience. And I think we shouldn't necessarily underestimate the selfishness of doing good. Because yes, I think it's great to do stuff that's good and I think it's important, but there's a great reward, psychic reward that one gets, uh, which is, you know, it's a payoff and it's joy. And when people start to experience that and see that they can experience it as part of their work, I think it adds a different level of engagement to the job. People normally think of it as like sort of CSI or giving a percentage of your profits away. But if we think about uh, Tommy Roofs as the trail runner and we think about that as a model and say, how can we as an organization create some kind of an exchange with society that our presence actually feeds society or makes society better, but then we derive energy from that to propel ourselves forward. Maybe that's a bit abstract or a bit naive, but I don't think so. I think if you think hard enough, you can create vehicles and businesses that actually do that. You've sort of talked a couple of times about that, you know, some new model for capitalism emerging. I'm just wondering if that also implies a new type of accounting or a new, you know. It I think so. I think that there are certain things missing from the cost of capital. Nobody's discount rate gets penalized for the public good. So think about it. Let's say you have factory A that is powered off renewable energy. It recycles all its water. It has no effluent. It employs people at a living wage and it produces a product, product A, and you've got factory B produces an identical product. However, it's fired on coal power. It uses child labor. And let's just say, for example, the, the two have exactly the same price. I mean, it's likely that the input costs of the one might be a little bit lower because they're using child labor. Okay, so they make a bit more profit. I mean, you think about it. Is it fair that the capitalist system 
values factory B at higher than factory A. Yeah, yeah. But that sounds like a bit of regulatory failure. You know, ultimately, the free market will correct itself at some point. Now, these are not my insights, but I like to re-quote Paul Polman, who speaks about the two great battles of man versus nature and the many versus the few. Now, in the battle of man versus nature, I think that's quite an obvious one who will win that battle. And then, you know, the one of the many versus the few, if we don't have a more equal and inclusive society, I think that we'll see a similar kind of natural disaster to what we've seen over long, long cycles over history, where it leads to disparity, breakdown, civil violence, and quite frankly, a search for a more equitable way. So companies, I think, are the most powerful vehicles for transformation in society, especially big companies. And if we can evolve a new form of capitalism, I think we can lead a way for making a better place. Was there a time in that where you felt like, uh, actually, I've got a choice here? I hear what people are saying, and maybe we'll do the minimum our customers are demanding from us on some of this, or we could go further, and I want to go further. Was there a moment of choice like that? There are choices every day, I would say. The pace of your change, the extent of your change. But I'm, in a way, quite lucky. My boss is my father, uh, who happens to be the controlling shareholder. So some of the things that I'm talking about are easy to talk about if you're in my position. If you are the CEO of a listed company and you have quarterly results to meet, I think it's, it's far more challenging. And that is the breakdown of the capitalist system because it's too short-term in nature. But I feel I have a responsibility to preserve this company develop it and renew it and refresh it. And I'm carrying something for a period of time and I'll be passing that on to somebody else. I hope it will last forever. And I firmly believe that the choices that I've made will enhance the probability of it lasting forever. They happen to be good choices for society too. But I think that it's because it's to do good it's to have a company that we're proud of, but a company that will deserve to last for the next hundred or thousand years. And that, that's what underpins the choices that we've made. And if your time horizon is long enough, the choices are quite obvious. As you've sort of been crystallizing this sense of purpose and then translating it into things that you're doing, what's the most surprising part of that for you? What surprised you as you were doing that? What's surprising me is the opportunities that we haven't taken advantage of. Really? Really? What, that there's so many of them out there that once you start looking, you see? Or Absolutely. It just requires a different kind of thinking. Like, for example, this Household Hope campaign is something we could have implemented 50 years ago or 100 years ago. Um Maybe it, it wouldn't have been timely at that point, or, or maybe it would have been too abstract. But the more one thinks about it, the more it becomes cultural, the more we open our minds, the more opportunities that we see. I guess it's like anything in life. It's the diet for your mind. It's the things you read. It's the things you see. It's the company that you keep and the opportunities that you see. It, it allows a better quality of thinking. I mean, Give another example. There's a company that we recently invested in. Well, not so recently, some time ago. We, we, uh, we were one of the investors in this company called Mr. Green, a company in East Africa that realized that the people that were on the street collecting garbage for recycling 
were selling it to recyclers, but they were getting a very punitive amount of cents in the dollar for the materials that they were collecting. So Mr. Green created a technology application to organize the people collecting the garbage and started creating their own recycling so that they could actually pay more cents in the dollar. And then they started entering into partnerships with companies like Pepsi and Unilever and Dow to produce the materials for their products. So they created a B2B system and actually recently Dow led a massive investment round in this company, which I think is absolutely fantastic and are, are looking to amplify. This is a, a, a totally circular a business, but it, it stands on its own economic merits, whereas previously people would have thought of this as a charitable sort of an enterprise. But it's having many stakeholders in a very useful way, thinking very differently about the problem. Hmm. What's been the most difficult part? It's been difficult to change the pace that you want to change because I think when you start to become more human as a company, you have a greater sense of empathy for the problems that we have. So balancing your humanity with the parts of business that are important is quite difficult from time to time. Yeah. What's the impact been on your leadership team, on the organization as a whole? I would say that everyone is on different phases of the journey, but the people that are in our business Many of them have benefited from the company in terms of their life and their career and have a strong motivation to make an impact on other people. So it comes quite naturally. It's just about opening one's mind and being more creative about how we do business because we need to solve multiple problems, not just our customers' problems. And also, I think, getting the mindset of this is not about corporate social investment, changing the thought of doing good in your spare time or doing good with some of your spare money to saying the byproduct of what you do must do good. It's the carbon dioxide that we breathe out that must create the food for the plant. In order to be sustainable, it has to be a self-reinforcing circle. But if you look at any business hard enough, most companies are created to solve a problem or to meet the need of, of somebody caused by a problem. Sometimes you just have to look back far enough as to why the company was created. Our company was created for my late grandfather who didn't have an education. Was he doing it to create a livelihood for himself and the people around him or was he doing it to create opportunities for jobs and what joy did he derive from those? Quite hard to say which one uh, gave him the most pleasure or benefit or utility at any one point in time. I, I, I definitely believe he was, he's a leader that thinks in that way, even though he may not have, may not have been fashionable to articulate it in that way. Certainly that's very much part of his philosophy and the way that he built the company. So what we're saying today is our purpose is not so different from what it was in 1931. It just wasn't necessarily spoken about for many years. I don't consider myself as somebody who's invented the purpose of our company or even changed the company to become more purposeful, I feel I've crystallized what was always in the DNA of our company and I'm hopefully going to make it more systemic and part of the way that we do business so that it becomes more explicit for people to see and it influences the way that people lead because that can only amplify our impact as an organization. If we produce an incredible service and great products and we have a great impact on society people will choose us 
and that will continue to enable our growth and hopefully allow us to have more benefit. And that's the, the cycle that we're trying to achieve. And how do you think you've changed through this? Particularly, you know, as I say, over the last few years, as, as that's begun to pick up some momentum. I feel that my work has more meaning. I feel a sense of optimism for the impact that our business can have beyond the obvious. I feel that there's an opportunity for us to lead others in this way and to think differently. Um, any advice you'd give to a business leader who you know is is kind of wrestling with clarifying their own organization's purpose and how to connect it to their strategy? Any tips? Any advice? There's some great reading. I love Paul Palman's latest book, which is called Net Positive. It's a great recommendation for anybody who wants a, a framework of thought. Some of the great companies that are really purpose-led in their material, like Unilever, and look for the motivation inside. When you leave one day, how do you want to be thought of? I'm not saying you, you should say you didn't innovate, you didn't create a great company or deliver great value for shareholders. Because for, for sure, that's necessary for survival as a chief executive. Performance is important. But actually, probably the most interesting thing is what would your children or grandchildren think of you? Probably brings it home. I remember explaining the concept of fossil fuel to my kids, how it's produced and what we use it for in the context of electric cars. And there was almost like a disbelief at how humanity behaves with things like fossil fuel. So take inspiration from your children and your grandchildren. Well, I'm really glad you could join us. Thank you very much, David. Uh, thanks for your work in, in highlighting something that I think is so important. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.